And the most greatest one of all, as the angel says, why do you seek the living among the dead? This idea of first and last is this radical way of God working and God doing. See, first and last is all about God. Now, we follow that with God's desire to be who he has called us to be, contrite, humble, and repentant people, people who stand in awe and wonder, like we just sang, of what he's done. Hannah, if you remember her from First and Second Samuel, she gives birth to Samuel, this great prophet. She describes God's first and last theology as this. The bows of the warrior are broken, but those who stumbled, those who stumbled are armed with strength. Those who were full hire themselves out for food, but those who were hungry, hungered no more. She who was barren has borne seven children, but she who had many sons pines away. The Lord brings death and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and raises up. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. Needy people who cry out like King David for a heart that is clean and a spirit to be renewed. See, God is all about taking the standards of this world, taking our expectations and our plans and turning them inside out and upside down to mirror his heart. That's first and last theology. And the book of Luke captures that as Jesus is the one who comes to the marginalized, to the rejected, to the hurting, to the divorced, the widowed, the orphaned, and the disabled. So let's jump into our text today and see what Luke chapter 14 has to say. And I'm going to start at verse 1. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched, kind of like out of the corner of his eyes. He wasn't being stalked by the KGB or anything like that. They were just kind of waiting for him to do something. And there in front of him was a man suffering from an abnormal swelling of his body. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Or not. But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him on his way. And then he asked them, If one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull it out? And they had nothing to say. There's a little structure in those first six verses. I don't know if you caught it, but it was situation followed by question, followed by response. The situation begins with a man who is sick and needs to be healed. Jesus asks the question, and the response is silence. And so the situation is Jesus heals, Jesus asks the question, and what's the response? Silence. There you go. We're awake. It's only 9.30. I know that you didn't have the trend to iced coffee. We've talked about this, people. It's 20 cents more. Make the jump. I know you're living there in the venti life, but you can make the jump up to the Trenta. It's big time. Now, they're pretty silent here. This is Jesus' third Sabbath healing. Back in Luke 6, he healed the guy with the hand. Back in Luke 13, he healed the woman. And now here in Luke 14, he heals again. And you have watched the Pharisees go from anger was their first response to humiliation was their second one. And now there is nothing they can do but stand silent because they are angry. Jesus, who is doing things that they themselves are doing and pointing out to them that it's not about what you do, it's about your heart. Our text today drives at the very heart of each and every one of us. 
And it's a hard thing to do to change our hearts, right? To align our hearts around God's will and desire for our lives. And so Jesus kind of elaborates this with a couple of parables. Let's look at them starting in verse 7. When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. Now, just a side note, we've done away with that because now we assign tables at weddings. So anyways, if so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. And then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. And so the question that I asked myself was, I went out. Oh, there we go. And I'm back. That was weird, right? You heard it. I spoke and I didn't. Yeah, okay, cool. So the question I asked myself was, what, what does the heart seek? What does your heart seek? I think sometimes it's, it's only natural, right, to, to just fall into the habit of the heart wants what it wants, right? And usually the heart wants to take. The heart wants to push for its own way and then sulks when we don't get that way. Our heart is rarely satisfied or content because there's always more to get, more to do, more to achieve, more, more, and... The heart kind of gets a little bit jealous sometimes when other people succeed. And the heart sometimes likes to live just in competition. And so if you're like me, and you realize that about your heart, you said, okay, well, what's the answer? Go to the other extreme. Clearly in this text, God is telling me I must hate myself. Because if I'm thinking good about myself, then I'm not ever going to be lifted up. And I get this sick way of thinking that I can, I can somehow just hate myself, hate, hate everything about me and the way I look, and, and then God's going to look down and say, yeah, you're doing it. That's what I want you to do. And that's an absolute lie. God does not want us to hate ourselves. He does want us to hate the sin that is in us. But you and I are made in the image of God. He does not want us to hate ourselves. Do not read that text and jump there. And don't do what I spent almost my entire life doing and still sometimes do, which was, this is the golden text. This is the text that I can use to finally fool God and fool other people to manipulate them and get exactly what I want. See, he's given me the secret key. If I want to be the top, put myself in the last, and then I'm going to be moved straight up to the top. And I use this text and I let this sit in my heart to manipulate, right? To think that I'm smarter than God. I'm smarter than other people. The smile at their faces 
and then speak bad about them behind their backs. I use this text to encourage me to always be in my performance and only to do something when I'm going to get something in return. And if I do do something, make sure people see it, snap it, and post it on Facebook where then it is truly real. (laughs) And the truth is that my heart is not really clean, is it? And I realize as I read this text, I'm not on the outside looking in at the Pharisees being like, dude, I I just don't get you guys. The truth of the matter is that I, too, am a Pharisee. A whitewashed tomb, clean on the outside, dead on the inside, and 2,000 years later, still doing the very things that they were doing. It wasn't choosing the best spots. It was literally pushing and manipulating and maneuvering and tripping and, hey, look at that, to get to the very best spot. But you know, (laughs) I want to change. Maybe you feel that way too. Maybe you want to change, that you don't want that broken, unclean heart. And I, and I struggle with how to change it, because I just, I can't do it. And I have to say that, I can't do it. But God, God is in the business of changing hearts. See, he calls us to love him wholeheartedly. And if you remember what that means, to love God with all your heart, your heart, heart, soul, and mind. Heart, soul, and mind. Well, I don't know about you, but I was a very lazy mathematician. Was anybody junior high math the worst? Thank you. Now, and thank you, but really you should be trying harder in school. Now, <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> now, The problem with me in math was this. The teacher, I don't think he knew, but the answers to the odd ones were in the back of the book. You're welcome. Now, so when it came time for the odd problems, well, I never got those wrong. Because I put the problem, because you have to show, you know, you got to write the problem out. And then I put the answer. But I didn't show the work. And I think sometimes that's the problem with changing our heart, right? We know the answer. Love Jesus. Boom. Got the problem, my heart is bad. Answer, love Jesus. But in math, we have to show our work, and it's not because your teachers in math are evil. They're not. It's because showing the work helps us learn. Now, it doesn't get us the answer. I don't know, this metaphor probably breaks down for you math teachers out there, so I'm sorry. But what I'm trying to say is Jesus fixes the heart, but we do participate alongside him and learning. And we call that understanding in our head, in our heart, in our hands, and in our habits. Let's do that together, because I used to teach children, and it's super fun. Head, heart, hands, habit. It's like a fire. You keep it burning, right? Because otherwise you get super cold when you camp, or so I found out the one time I did. Now, What does that mean? Well, to understand God with our head, right, we do have to go to the text. We have to go to the scripture. We have to learn. We have to see what he's saying. We have to pay attention to the people in our lives who are models of faith, like Hebrews 11, and learn from them. And then we've got to take that into our heart, and we have to hold it close. It has to become the most important thing to us. And then that hard part is we have to do it with our hands. And we have to do it 
consistently. And I used to think that it had to be this perfect order of head to heart to hands to habit, and then I'd get it. And I realized that's not what the Bible says, right? We look at the Sermon on the Mount. What's Jesus saying? He's telling you to start doing things before maybe your heart is ready for them. Things like praying for your enemies. Have you ever had someone that has totally ticked you off, made you super angry, who you can't stand the very smell of them? How dare they be in your presence? I know two people like that. None of you, of course. But you know what happens when I find myself praying for them? God starts changing my heart. God starts changing my heart. Remember the text about doing, doing something for someone? They came to him and they're like, hey man, when the Roman soldiers tell us to carry this stuff for one mile, we don't have to do that, right? He says, no, no, no. Go two miles. Double it. You ever taken out the cat litter without being asked by your wife? It's not easy. But I start to realize that I got to. It's part of who I have to be in my family. And God starts changing my heart to stop hating the chores and the mundane things I have to do and to start embracing this life. If you think about giving, don't talk to me about my money, bro. I don't make enough as it is. You know what happens when I start to give? I start to get blessed. What it's like to be patient with someone, to not get so mad when they make a mistake, but instead to sit there and realize, I have made many mistakes too. I'm still angry with you, but I'm going to try to forgive you. You see, the habit part, those spiritual exercises are things that we have to keep doing. And if your heart is anything like mine, when you, when you experience change in your heart, when for one second you stop chasing those things of the world and the approval and the validation of others, when you experience that changed heart, it's like a feeling of peace and you just relax. You just feel so right. And, you know, you fail and you still struggle and then you still find yourself doing the other things, but, but you don't stop. You don't stop. And if you're sitting there today and you're like, you know what, uh, I would like the heart changed thing, please. How do I take the first step? How do I take the first step? You already have. It's called sanctification, baby. When you were baptized, the moment you believed, God gave his spirit to you. He put it right in your heart where it got to work immediately. And he gives the spirit without limit. There's no stopping it. It just pours into your heart and doesn't stop. And you might say, but you know what? I was baptized as a baby. And I kind of messed it all up amongst then. I don't think I, don't think I got that spirit anymore. The things I did outweighed the gift that I received. Don't you believe that for a second? You are not who you've been. 
And you are not what you've done. You are God's. You are his alone. And he stops to say, you are my masterpiece. And you want to know what to do? He says, don't worry. I've already prepared the things for you to do, the good things. And you and I are going to do them together. We're going to do something different. We're going we're to move into like this chance where we can ask God to forgive us, to change our hearts, to turn them back to him. We call that confession. And then we're going to come to something that the Lord gives us his body and blood. Something that he gives joyfully. Right here. And we get an opportunity to taste just how much he loves us. And we leave here then strengthened in our faith, receiving the forgiveness of sins and ready to go out and be people whose hearts are changed. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, who but you can change our hearts? Who but you can take a valley of dry, dead bones and bring them back to life? Who but you can take broken sinners and heal them with your body and blood. Lord, we pray, have mercy on us. We pray that you forgive our sins, that you clean our heart, that you fill us with your love and your joy so that we don't try to manipulate or push to get our own way but we simply let you be God and we cry out that we are not. Instead, we are yours. Save us.